0: available in more homes than the Pac-12 network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I nice. am oh, David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And
1: here he goes. Miles Jack. And I'm Ryan Abraham from
0: uscfootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC. We are the Podcast of Champions.
1: Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I am not David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, but I am Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, normally together, we make the podcast of champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. I am solo today. I've been traveling. We didn't get to do a show Last week, David had some stuff come up, and I'm going out of town yet again. So, since there was some newsy stuff going on, and you know, we know David doesn't like to talk about actual news. I'll talk about the news. I'll do my best to answer your questions and do a solo POC show for you guys today. It's uh, recording this on uh, Wednesday evening. Hope you guys had a nice weekend going into this, all this recruiting stuff going on in the Pac-12, and uh, that's all kind of fun. So, whatever team you follow, hopefully... You're checking in on what's going on with all these visits and everything going on because we've had the dead period end for the first time in 15 months. So whatever school you're covering, go to the the, uh, Pac-12 24-7 site and check out what's going on there. I'm sure your staff has it on lockdown what's going on on each individual campus as far as all the recruiting stuff going on. It's really exciting just to have this kind of recruiting coverage we just haven't had uh, this way for quite a while. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, pactfulpodcast at gmail.com. we got a bunch of emails to get to today. we got a big text message and a voicemail. And if you want to leave us a text message or call us and leave us a voicemail, the number is 424-532-0678. You can also tweet us, or mostly tweet me, at Pactful Podcast uh, on the Twitters, the website. It's Pactful Podcast where you find all of the old episodes. Go to Reddit dot com slash r slash podcast of champions and chat with other poc listeners about the pac-12 and if you have apple podcasting app the apple podcasting app on any of your devices please follow uh the poc follow the podcast of champions uh rate us uh with five stars we love it if you say anything and it includes a five-star rating we will read it uh on the air because You know, that's what we do. Don't have any new reviews that I am seeing right now. So I guess you guys were waiting for David to come back because he likes uh, reading those. But we will get to all of those when we get to them. We got a lot of news here on the POC to get to. And I'm going to play this breaking news thing. Because our friend, our pal, the uh, departing as of three weeks from now, Larry Scott, did an exit interview with a Friend of mine, Ralph Russo, uh, from the AP, and uh, it is as awful as you would have expected. Is did any of his uh Larry Scott isms change in this interview? Was there any sort of uh recollect, you know, recollection of you know what I could have done things this way? Uh, going back on, you know, you know what, in re- retrospect, we should have done this. No, none of that. Sticking with the, his company line, sticking with everything that he had said before didn't change an, an absolute thing he is he is this personified the truth is we all know champagne larry likes to roll large right <laughs> still rolling large uh still not taking any um he he takes credit where he feels the that the the conference did well even in places when the conference didn't do well but as far as like taking responsibility for the shortcomings Yeah, Uh, if you expected that from this interview, um, I would go check it out. Uh, But yeah, you're not going to get it. Uh, Another friend of mine, Andy Staples, had a really interesting tweet. He says, getting around to reading uh, Ralph Russo's exit interview with Larry Scott, Larry flawlessly transitions from, quote, it's Clay Helton's fault to, quote, I didn't lose, I just ran out of time in the same answer. And the answer he's talking about, As Larry Scott said, the biggest regret is that we didn't have teams performing better in football during our 11 years. Certainly, we've got some brands that traditionally would be making the college football playoff and competing for a national championship. It didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Thankfully, it has happened in our other sports where we won more championships than any other conference every year, including what was the best overall conference in basketball, men's and women's this year. Um, Yeah, men's did not win a championship your entire year tenure larry but competitively teams not reaching their traditional potential was a real regret secondly hindsight is 2020 but i didn't anticipate the amount of change amongst our leadership presidents chancellors and athletic directors that were really aligned about a long-term vision Uh, and as we had change in leadership on our campuses the focus became much more on short short short-term pressures yeah uh okay larry so Yeah, so he's blaming, you know, Clay Helton, he's blaming, you know, Oregon, everyone that wasn't making the playoffs. He went on and had a longer answer about, you know, the conference doesn't win you football games and stuff like that. So uh, I think uh, Andy put that well. But the hindsight thing, it's like, basically, he had snow jobbed all of the the presidents um, to his vision. And once new presidents came in and realized his vision was crap and it wasn't working. And he was, they were, he was a basically a snake oil salesman. And they were like, Hey dude, this ain't working for us. He had to change his tune. And I don't get why, why did it matter that athletic directors changed? Like, I don't get that because he never talked to the athletic directors in the beginning. That wasn't what he did. Um, He only talked to them later when he had to and was forced to. So, a lot of this stuff, um, uh, Wilner had a good column on this, uh, and you know, there's a, I, I would recommend, you know, reading Wilner stuff anyway, but, uh, he, he, he kind of summarized it with, he put in other words, Larry Scott's media strategy was bold and brilliant, but the president's and athletic directors don't have the patience to wait 12 years for the validation that I'm certainly, that I'm certain will come. And uh, don't blame me if they're frustrated that the Big Ten and SEC collect ten or twenty million more in revenue every year. Um, it's not my fault that the presidents and the athletic directors believed my projections that the Pac-12 networks would sign up with Directv and generate five million annually for each campus instead of the two million they're averaging. Um, and he said, if they would have just listened to me, they wouldn't fret over the impact a massive revenue disparity has on their ability to hire and fire coaches, build support staffs and uh, expand recruiting budgets and, and gone on and on. But um, so basically that's what Scott was saying. And what, what John is saying is even if Scott was correct and he's not, you don't say those things. You admit the media strategy wasn't perfect and you always want to provide more resources for the schools and you wish them luck in the future and you're thankful for the experience. That's great. You depart graciously. Perfect. Unless of course you don't care and why should Scott care? He's heading out the door, having earned about forty-five million in salary during his tenure at the Pac-12. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 schools, his baby, have paid each school just twenty million over that time. So, wow, he was making more money than the schools were. So that's sort of like is a good way to encapsulate the uh, Larry Scott tenure as the Pac-12. Commissioner, But I, I recommend you read the Ralph Russo story. He talked to Larry Scott for about 25 minutes. Um, there's some good tweets out there. Like I mentioned, the Andy Staples tweet. And of course, uh, our buddy John uh, does a good job with the uh, exit interview column and uh, go over that. Uh, we also, John Willner also talked about um, George uh, Klyovkov, the new PAC-12 commissioner. He has a Twitter handle. It's uh, a so it's uh, K-L-I-A-V-K-O-F-F, you know, at that. Um, He has a little under 15,000 followers and is a regular tweeter. Um, And if you remember, Larry Scott didn't have a public Twitter account. I'm sure he had some burners or something out there, people looking for it. But uh, John talked about some of the good things about, um, you know, George tweeting. But what stuck me was he's a huge Virginia fan. So he follows like the Virginia beat writers. Uh, he follows what's going on with the teams and, you know, tweets about when, you know, someone wins a championship and things like that. I think this is a great sign. He's a college sports fan. Like Larry Scott looked at it as like it was in a, a lab somewhere. Like, oh, there's this is college sports thing I will manipulate and play with. And, um, you know, George Klayovkov is a huge fan. He's He knows it. If you, you're a big Washington fan, and you're on um Dogman all the time talking with other fans. You know what the message board culture is like. You follow all that stuff. Um, then you run into someone who's a huge Utes fan and is on Ute zone all the time. You have a, that's like a kindred spirit. You have something in common. You both are crazy people on these message boards and read all this stuff or whatever. Having, you know, knowing uh the new commissioner does that as well. I think that's a positive sign. So uh, good stuff from there. Another column from uh, John Wilner. It was, a, or maybe it was in the mailbag. I forgot in, in his hotline. Make sure you check that stuff out too. We got some news out of uh, Colorado. Colorado
0: Buffalo. Remember
1: that guy, Sam Neuer? You know, he was the safety turned quarterback, or, well, quarterback turned safety, back to quarterback, ends up being the starter. Uh, yeah he's in the transfer portal. So, he's out. Um should be a new uh it'll be an interesting, you know, battle for who's going to be the starting quarterback, but uh the guy that was starting last year, uh 4 and 2, I believe Colorado was, if I'm not mistaken. Um uh, yeah, he's peace out. He's in the portal. So, a lot of portal action for Pac-12 quarterbacks uh, in and out across different teams, stuff like that. So, Sam Noyer is now in the portal. That was hap- that happened. Earlier this week. Also, uh, David Shaw uh, from, you know, you know the school that he's part of. Stanford Cardinal. Head coach of the Cardinal did a great job on the NFL Network covering the NFL draft. But uh, Stanford has a 9 a.m. game against uh, K-State. So... This is that like I think it's I forget which, uh, what one of the classic games or something like that but, um, I, I I I think Wilner tweeted this or no this was I'm um, sorry this was Stuart Mandel tweeted this out he said you don't often hear a high profile a high profile coach rip a TV partner but Stanford's David Shaw is quote pissed at Fox for a 9 a.m. body clock kickoff Week One versus k State and and the quote from Shaw is that to me it's something that is egregious. And I don't care who I piss off. So, yeah, you, you know, you don't usually want to piss off your partners. You're going to get huge uh, ratings for that game. You know, we saw USC and Arizona State do it. Nobody passed out. I mean, everyone was okay. The game was exciting. There was crazy stuff that happened. Um, you know, this is a game you got to travel for. So, that's not, you know, ideal. I, Arizona State had to, too. But it was only... uh I guess it was 10 a.m. for them and not 9. Well, I don't know. I forget what the time change was. But, yeah, I don't know. David Shaw, like, this isn't a battle. I don't think you want to, like, you know, run down, but whatever. Uh, Pullman, Washington. um, We have some news there. Washington State Cougars. (coughs) Remember Jaden DeLora. So, the freshman quarterback uh, coming over from Hawaii. Definitely uh, familiar with the system Nick Rolovich was running. He had a little DUI problem, missed spring. And so that you saw and Cooper, uh, who's been around the, the Washington State program quite a while, but he, brought, he was brought in by Leach as an air raid kind of guy. But they also have Tennessee graduate transfer, Jared Guarantano. Uh, they had the majority of the reps uh, this spring. I think uh, Jared got hurt early on uh, in spring, too. But not having uh, the starter from last year, Dan Delora, Certainly, uh disappointment in the spring, but they're going to, the Cougars will have their full complement of quarterbacks through the summer because he has been reinstated. So, Nick Rolovich announced that he was going to be reinstated. I think it was on the radio. So, uh, Jane Delore is back. So, one of the questions, you know, there's a lot of quarterback question marks throughout the Pac 12. That should be one of them that is uh, taken care of as of now. We also know that Arizona. Arizona um, Wildcats 100% stadium capacity this fall so yay uh, we'll, we'll give them applause love to see that if you saw the Utah uh, uh, LA game that you know the the, you know, the Utah Jazz versus the Los Angeles Clippers in Utah on Tuesday night, holy cow, to see a full stadium like that was insane. So having an outdoor thing, 100% capacity, I hope that the whole Pac-12 can do that. The fact that Arizona is able to announce that now is pretty cool. Um, so they want to try to generate some excitement. Will it be 100% full? Just because you got a jet fish, you got a new coach, you got some some hype around the program, probably not you know, a team coming off a 12-game losing streak, but I like that they're taking the initiative to get out there and say, hey, everybody is welcome. So props uh, to Arizona. I love uh, that they're going to be doing that. All right, one other little uh, noteworthy thing I want to mention. Um, yeah, there's some cool stuff happening uh, in the Pac-12. I would like to see – I would thank uh, Tom Hecker – who uh, does a great job marketing over at Jockey? He's been sending us swag, sending us some some stuff. I got a box in the mail, full. I mean, like really full, uh, like super full of these Pac-12 um, mini brief keychains. And so they have all the different colors of every Pac-12 program. He sent me a few early on, and then a box full of every program. So. Basically, if you're going to see me, if you're going to be in LA, you're a fan of whatever Pac-12 school, email me, let me know. I think David's got some too, although he doesn't like to be bothered, but you can email me, let me know. I'll meet you somewhere. I will give you uh, a mini brief keychain of the school of your choice because I have a ton of them. We want to do them as giveaways. Hopefully we do some kind of in-person event at some point. And if we do, I will definitely bring those, um, you know, a way to get it to all you guys, but. Uh, I think that would be very cool. So, uh, thanks, uh, Tom. Uh, the, the Jockey people have been awesome. Like the best, no, no Pac-12 sponsor has been like reaching out to us like they are, and uh, they've been they've been great. So I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hopefully this partnership works. out. I'm sure it will. It seems like it's it's going well for the Pac-12 and for Jockey. So thanks uh, to those guys. All right, why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and uh, I'll do my best to answer all the questions in the mailbag. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. Let's start off with a voicemail, our buddy Perk.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? It's Perk. I uh, hope you guys had a awesome Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know, it's a lot of discussion the past few weeks about the, uh, the college football playoff and I think Dave's pretty correct on, you know, that the Pac-12 standing within the playoff has nothing to do with the playoff format and just the fact that it it hasn't been performing uh, up to its standards, particularly USC or Oregon. Um, And I was wondering if that at all uh, would factor in into um, kind of the judgment of Larry Scott's tenure as commissioner. Um, If if you guys think people would have viewed him um, differently had his tenure as commissioner probably coincided or aligned more with that the run of the USC teams in the 2000s, and then um, more of the Oregon teams in the late uh, or the early to mid 2010s. Uh, I'm not saying that those teams winning would have changed or changed people's views in the Pac-12 network, but I think uh, I was just wondering if you guys think that um, a lot of the just good teams having down years or, or not performing up to their past standards some of that frustration was taken on on Larry Scott and um, it had not been the case if he would have been viewed a bit differently um, as a commissioner. Thanks guys.
1: Hey perk. Thanks for that question. I'm curious to see what David thinks about this. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would have an impact on it. If there was a Clemson in the PAC 12 during Larry Scott's tenure. Um, but one of the things you look at is college football athletics, uh, the landscape changes over time. Um, if you read that uh, exit interview, I mean, he just had this plan. He still thinks like 2024, there's going to be this great, you know, the Pac-12 is positioned best. And you're know, just ignoring how it's completely getting crushed right now. It's sort of like you're getting your, you know, you're, it's like a 12 a round, you know, boxing match with Mike Tyson and you're getting knocked down again and again and again. But there's somehow, you know, you have this strategy you know, if you make it to the 12th round, we have the strategy that we could uh, win the fight. Um, but it's, it just doesn't work that way. Like you would have to, I mean, the amount of money the Pac-12 would have to make for it, for its schools, members, institutions to make up for all the money they've lost year after year after year. It doesn't make any sense. They'd have to, I mean, he was, I mean, he was touting like having Apple and Amazon, like coming to the table and significant equity offers it's like uh, okay like what well, what did that do what did that make money for the schools like no like your strategy was terrible it just wasn't good if you had a clemson if usc was really good or oregon was on some amazing run and you were making the playoff every year and like you know maybe you know almost win a championship and stuff um it would make things a little bit better but a lot of the strat like the problem is Larry Scott didn't care as much about that stuff. And if it happened, it was just would have happened because it did, um, not because of some strategy that he implemented. He still was touting you know, the whole point of these networks. We wanted to get those Olympic sports on TV. It's like, if that was the point of your network, like you, the point of the network wasn't to make money because those don't make money. The SEC puts that stuff on, but only around like the major content, the football stuff. It's like a, it's a, it's a nice side dish, but you're putting your side dish as the, as the main course, and that's never going to work. If, you, if you're going to an expensive steakhouse and the first thing you see is like these garlic mashed potatoes that are really good, like, well, where the hell's my steak? Like, oh, yeah, we overcooked it, and uh, you don't get a steak today. But our garlic mashed potatoes are the best in the city. Oh, that's great. But I didn't come to a steakhouse to, to have my garlic mashed potatoes. That's <laughs> Excuse me. That's a great side. It's not the main course. And I feel like, yeah, could a great team in the Pac-12 help? It, it would be, it'd sort of be like cough medicine, like, and I just coughed. Uh, you know, it would fix some of the symptoms, but it wouldn't necessarily fix uh, the ailment that you, that you have if you have the flu or something. That would be my take on it. But thank you, Perk, uh, for that question. This one's coming from Jeremy in uh, Mapleton, Utah. He's talking about ASU and Prestige. Fellas, in a recent episode, Ryan mentioned that is that it actually would have been good for a school like Arizona State to be caught up in the admission scandal being tied together with schools like Stanford, UCLA, and others. How quickly you forget they actually were mentioned. Oh, this isn't going to go well. Uh, court documents from the case included this email from Lori Laughlin and Becky. He would like me to read it in Aunt Becky's character. Unfortunately, I don't have those skills. I don't even I couldn't even tell you what she sounds like. Um, but the quote is, "We just met with our daughter, our older daughter's college counselor this morning. I'd like to maybe sit with you after your session with the girls as I have some concerns and want to fully understand the game plan and make sure we have a roadmap for success as it relates to our daughter." and getting her into a school other than ASU. I know I'm personally looking forward to seeing an overhyped ASU team fail to meet expectations again this year. Jeremy in Utah. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, I do remember something like that where there was someone took a shot at ASU where they were like, we're going to pay, I think in this case, to get our kid into USC so they don't have to end up at ASU. Um, Yeah, we were just talking about prestige from that – varsity blues kind of scandal stuff. And really, it's just, there's no, it's just made up, right? It's just what you think is great. Um, you know, Harvard has like this enormous endowment. So there's some backing up of, of some of the greatness, but it's really just, you know, the more times you're mentioned in movies or whatever, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're going to make legally blonde about Harvard law and not necessarily about, Northwestern law, you know, with Northwestern really good, but Harvard's got more prestige. So if you did it about Northwestern law, um, I think they have a law school. I don't even know, uh, you know, really good school, but there's just more prestige at Harvard. Just, it's been around longer. There's just whatever. Um, and so, yeah, so this, this, the whole thing was about prestige and stuff. So uh, thanks for that one, for that one, Jeremy. Oh God, Michael in Seattle about beating a dead horse. This is long. Uh, Ryan and uh, <laughs> Ryan and Dan, Taking shots at Dave. He's not even here. Uh, well, here we are on the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Sun is out. I'm on my third beer of the day. and Nothing excites me more than to write into my favorite podcast host and beat the dead horse some more on everyone's favorite topic, playoff expansion. Seems like over the past few weeks, there have been two schools of thought about the 12-team expansion scenario, both uh, rebutted by Dave. 12 teams being more inclusive of all conferences, including the Pac-12, and uh, the intangible marketing of making the playoffs being spread among multiple conferences and teams. I don't think it's arguable that the quality of the top teams in college football takes a notable, notable drop-off after the usual 6-7 suspects and that opening up auto-conference bids won't change this. I do think there's a sales pitch in making the playoff that some of these fringe teams could leverage in gathering more talent. However, we keep hearing from you, Dave, that for everyone clamoring for the Pac-12 representation in the current four-team format, All we need is for USC to get its act together with recruiting and coaching. To that, I ask a simple question. Why should I really care as a Pac-12 conference fan? After all, a few years ago, you made a pretty clear observation that Clemson's success as an annual entrant into the four-team playoff structure doesn't really do anything to bolster the resume of the ACC's. It's still an average to below average football conference, top to bottom, arguably worse than the Pac-12. If USC was to clean up in SoCal recruiting and hire a coach who had a track record, uh, of building a program building and decent roster management, all that shows that they are doing what they should be doing, regardless of any action by the other 11 teams. I suppose this really speaks to what is true about the top teams in college football, regardless of the size of the playoffs. No matter how much money is available from TV deals or playoff appearances, or how supposed to deep your conference is, schools that compete year after year make an annual decision to commit much, much more above and beyond what is received from a conference distribution to hire the best coaches and build programs through armies of staff to recruit and develop. They're spread, uh, spending both smartly and in insane amounts, most of which is specific to each school's checkbook. I don't see the millions of dollars uh, slice of pie that old Miss or Mizzou gets through the SEC deal suddenly making them a playoff caliber team just because Alabama wins the, damn, the dang thing every year. I think it makes a big difference, though, like where you're seeing Michigan State hire away Colorado's head coach for one year, a guy that's 5-7, and Mel Tucker, because Michigan State has a buttload more money, and they can make mistakes. They can go out and spend a lot of money on a head coach and a staff, and if they're wrong, they can fire him and do the same thing two years later, where the Pac-12 is going to have limitations because they don't have that kind of... um, Flexibility, I guess you could say, uh, financially. But anyway, he says – he. Keep, there's more paragraphs, by the way. All said, the one positive element of a 12-team structure is one you briefly touched on a few weeks ago. With the current four-team structure, we see a playoff with more parity between the same slew of teams selected. Certainly seems like this format is more in line with an NFL playoff environment, albeit with fewer participants. A 12-team playoff with auto bids decreases parity, but could very well move us back towards the quote weird football elements of David versus Goliath matchups that the college football uh, that college football is so lovingly known for. Sure, you get your blowouts, but you've also have potential with heavy emphasis on potential for great TV. You have potential uh, for great TV. I suppose this is an eye of the beholder, but having a bunch of historical conference uh, tied auto slotted matchups in the bowl structure, isn't too far off from having a bunch of first-round playoff matchups between conference champs or at-large bids, albeit without all the pomp and circumstance of each bowl's history. I'd also note that in a 12-team format, I don't think it's too far-fetched to assume the Pac-12 has a pretty good chance of sending two teams every year. If you assume two auto-bids for two group of five teams, roughly six bids go into the SEC and Big big, uh, Ten schools, that leaves you four bids for three conferences, Three of which go to the champ in their respective divisions. Are we really thinking that the second best team in the Pac-12 doesn't compare to the second best team in the ACC or the Big 12, especially if that team is USC? Keep on, keep it on. Enjoy some well-deserved R and R for all the sleepless nights of prep work you guys put into the show. It's got to be nice to have some time off. Michael in Seattle. Hey, Michael, that was quite the uh, quite the email. So you you know, David's not a, a fan. And actually, the 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 talk right now has been a lot more about a 12 team one. And to me, does it mean that the Pac 12 is going to win a championship anytime soon because you're opening it up and they have a chance? No, I don't think I don't think so. The teams have to be better. But it's sort of to me, I would say an analogy is like if there's a, a popular high school party and you're gonna you get an invite. And you're like, you know, maybe you're a decent athlete. You're like, you're all right. You're not like at the popular table at lunch, but you get invited to this popular party. It gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, spread your wings a little bit and and hang with the big boys and the big, you know, the the, the popular people. Are you going to go home leaving that party having a date with the prom queen? Probably not. But your social standing is going to be a little bit better off because you are at that party. Now, is there potential for you to get embarrassed and uh, thrown in the pool with your underwear tied, you know, pulled up over your head? Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a risk. But I think you just want that seat. At the, for me, you always just wanted an opportunity with that seat at the table. So this will be a chance for the Pac-12 to go to that popular party and maybe make some noise. You know, maybe they can chug a beer faster than everyone else. They get an upset in the first round. And uh, who knows? They're dating a cheerleader by the end of the day. All right. That analogy coming to you from my brain, just being fried from talking for the last couple hours. We have a text message, uh, Ryan. Is there any indication that Clay Travis is the the Qin Shi Huang type leader this unit needs to galvanize and plow horse this team to prominence, and not just an unwitting, ham-fisted executioner filleting the last few flaps of flesh? off the Trojan horse before it falls over dead. No idea uh, what you were talking about. Uh, I heard something about Clay Travis and Rush Limbaugh. I don't know what that is. Uh, I never got into it. Don't really care. So David probably have some strong opinions on that. So maybe we can circle back for him. All right. We got Hithliday. Um It's uh, Gravis. Gravis. In Cubans, Scopulus, Eastus, I don't know. But I think the translation, it's Latin, Summer, heavy summer upon summer. Um, so we'll see where he's going with this one. This past week, I've been trying to figure out why Colorado made the defensive coordinator moves that they have. And I'm not satisfied with any solution. Here's the timeline. All right. Hithloday loves to dive into this kind of stuff. October 2017. Dateline, October 2017. Uh, Tyson Summers is fired midway through his second season as head coach of Georgia Southern, going five and thirteen. He becomes an analyst at Georgia under Mel Tucker, for who is the defensive coordinator for the 2018 season. December 2018, Tucker is hired, Colorado News head coach, and brings Summers with him as a new defensive coordinator, as well as a couple other analysts from Georgia. Uh, three positional coaches from the previous staff at Colorado are retained. November of 2019, Colorado's defense, after getting a bunch of players back from injury, finishes the season strong by beating Stanford and Washington, limiting them to 13 and 14 points, respectively. February 2020, Tucker is hired by Michigan State, bringing three assistants with him from Colorado. Carl Durrell is hired in Boulder. He retains four assistants from the previous staff, including the incumbent Summers, but hires a new defensive line coach, Chris Wilson. All right. November 2020, Colorado goes 4-2 with several strong defensive performances, including limiting limiting San Diego State to 10 points and Arizona 13. January 2021, Darrell fires Summers and promotes Wilson to D.C. Wilson continues as defensive line coach, as does every other assistant, and the only other staff change is hiring a new inside linebacker coach since that was Summers' unit. April 2021, in the spring game, Colorado has switched from the hybrid 3-4, 3-3-5 defense Summers was running to heavy 4-3, the heavy 4-3 Wilson deployed when he was the co-defensive coordinator at Mississippi State from 2010 to 2012. The Buffs don't have the roster to make this a smooth transition. Too few bodies in the defensive line and the wrong types at that. The best explanation I can come up with is that the Colorado administration isn't giving its new coaches a free hand in hiring, and that's why so many assistants get retained in each transition and why Tucker wasn't interested in bringing many with him to East Lansing when he did come into real money. Nonetheless, Summers has done a better job than I was expecting at defensive coordinator given the circumstances, and his late firing this year is baffling. So it must be that Durrell chose to spend the political capital he earned as Pac-12 Coach of the Year by getting rid of the D.C. he was forced to keep and getting his own man. But then why Wilson, a longtime defensive line coach, who wants to switch systems to one Colorado doesn't have the right personnel for, why wouldn't he make an outside hire of a 3-4 expert? Uh, And then he says, David, do you have any insight into Durrell's thinking from his time at UCLA? Ryan, what do you know about Wilson from his time as USC's defensive line coach, 2014 and 2015? All right. A lot going on here, Hithleday. So, I don't know if you want some like blanket explanation as to why all of that happened. I don't think you're going to get one. Um, I feel like if you look at the hires, Mel Tucker comes in, never been a head coach. He's a DC. He brings in someone that was a former, you know, uh, a former head coach that's an analyst. Uh, Not that hard to bring him in as a hire because he's only an analyst right now. I think, I mean, that would probably explain quite a bit. Uh, Carl Durrell has been out of the college game for quite a long time. Some continuity would probably make some sense there. I think there's probably a lot of small reasons why a lot of these things happened. And if Carl Durrell wanted to switch defenses, unfortunately, when he came in, it would have been a lot harder to do because it was the pandemic year and, everything was shut down and he couldn't even meet with his staff and his people and all of that. So I don't know the details behind the late firing. It was really kind of strange, but my guess is there was something he would have wanted to have done when he took over and wasn't that he wasn't able to because he didn't have the support from the school. It was, that would have been really hard to do with the pandemic. That would be my take on things. Uh, it would be great if we could talk to Adam Munster Tiger about that and get some more insight. And we, I think we want to try to get talk to all of the individual publishers just to kind of you know get an update of what's going on this off season. I'd love to be able to do that, so hopefully we can. Um, so that would be my guess for Darrell's thinking when you're at what you asked David. Um, I liked Wilson as a as a defensive line coach at USC. He just seemed like he was someone that knew you know college and the NFL game. Um, yeah, I liked him. I didn't really know much about him being uh, a defensive coordinator just because I, I, when I covered him, he was uh, coaching the defensive line. But, uh, yeah, I, he was a guy I liked. And uh, a guy, you know, I, th- I thought he was doing a good job where he was at at USC. Well, hopefully that answers your question, Hithliday. But we'd love to talk to uh, Adam to get some more insight on that. But that would be my guess is just a lot of different factors. But looking at the two hires, you know, one first-time head coach, one head coach that hadn't been around a long time, that might have a lot to do with why you kept assistants on. Whereas if you had hired like Urban Meyer, well, I guess it's a bad example. He was outside of, like, say someone's hiring Luke Fickle, um, established coach, hot coach, uh, knows what he wants, has a lot of clout, can, if he wants to upgrade his staff, he can go and he doesn't need to bring an analyst over from Cincinnati he could go um, get an assistant coach from Florida State or Texas or something that he really likes and get from a bigger school because he's going to have some clout going to a new program. Thanks for that one, Hithliday. Uh We got a – this is a very convoluted uh, text message from Choney19. Uh, I, I'm going to have to put, – please put this together. Hey, guys, I had a burning question about playoffs. Just kidding. F that. I did want to mention it seems like there is a parallel between the Pac-12 until Pete Carroll came along in the talent, and that talent started leaving the conference area until Carroll made USC a winner and made it cool to stay on the West Coast, leading to more talent, not just staying at SC, but also Oregon and Cal. Um no, I, I think I there's some truth that I think. I think Pete Carroll did a good job of having West Coast talent, make it cool to stay on the West Coast. He recruited a ton of guys to USC, but I think it helped the rest of the Pac-12, where if you're the best player on the West Coast and you didn't want to go to USC, you're Deshaun Jackson, you go to Cal, and instead of going to like Florida State. Um, I think that kind of stuff was happening. So he's, Okay, so he's got some points here. One, isn't right now a similar situation where we're just a, say, Luke Fickle trickle away from the West Coast being attractive to stay for, and even schools having to make better hires out of necessity. Um, Well, I mean, I don't know what Luke Fickle's personality would be like on the West Coast. I think he's mostly an Ohio guy. But if you brought someone to SC or or whatever it you know, is, we're seeing Mario Cristobal recruit well at Oregon, but probably has to be somewhere in Southern California, USC or UCLA, that was just, cleaning up in Southern California and making it cool to stay on the West coast. I think that would probably help the rest of the PAC 12 too. Two, if you each were hosting this podcast solo and what I am doing that, by the way, wanted to take a break from uh, talking PAC 12 one week. What topics would interest you the most to talk about and field questions for uh, an hour? So if, so I would have to host a podcast and field questions about some other topic. I would have to feel comfortable enough about that topic to field questions. Um, Hmm. That's a good one. You know, I'm just, I mean, both of us would be more experts in like these fields that we're in now. Um, I don't feel like I love talking about like world war II history and stuff, but I don't think I'm enough of a buff that I could like answer questions for an hour on a podcast about it. Um, I do something, I think I could do a pretty good job, something from my old career, from the engineering world, or uh, technical speaking, where if you are like a technical person that would have to do public speaking, uh, working with customers, I was pretty good at that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe something like that. Um, and three, what are your current three favorite podcasts? I really mostly just listen to sports stuff. Um yeah, and I'm not even listening to that much. I'm, I'm mostly just like the college football podcast. Like I'll listen to like the Audible. My buddy Bruce is on there. Uh, my buddy Pete Thamel is doing uh, the Yahoo Sports podcast with uh, Wetzel. And, um, you know, I, I'm friends with Stuart Mandel too. They're both part of the Audible. But Wetzel and uh, Pat Forty. I knew Pat Forty a little bit from when I was at, at Rivals. Uh, I like that one. You know, they do that fairly often. And the Solid Verbal, I'm friends with those guys. So I kind of like my friends that do college football. (laughs) That's the ones I listen to. And four, with COVID calming down, how about instead of a POC Zoom call, you organize a meetup at a local brewery? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Shoney. Oh, yeah. 100% we want to do that. That would be amazing. And I could give you guys those mini briefs, those keychains. So, yeah. 100% would like to do that. All right. This is from Thomas. Curious about George. Um, Hey, guys. The weather is warming up and the days are growing longer, so that could only mean one thing. It's time for summer vacation. Uh, This year, my plans are already set, but 2022 is a different story. I fully expect by then that our beloved conference already will have completed its tender embrace with Las Vegas and thus schedule next year's Pac-12 football media days at Siegfried and Roy's Secret Garden at the Mirage Hotel and Casino. I mean, is there anywhere else you'd want to see Yogi Roth struggle to remain relaxed and upbeat than in blistering hot weather surrounded by fearsome white tigers could even nick saban withstand that type of scrutiny i think not in all seriousness though uh i'm one of those listeners who are actually or cautiously optimistic about the pac-12's new commissioner and innovative thinking he seems to bring to the table but that ma- that mantra of innovation and promise of new revenue streams is exactly what got larry scott hired for the job over a decade ago it's time to accept the uncomfortable possibility that the Pac-12 presidents may have really just replaced Champagne Larry with Resort Fee George. Whoa, good one. We need a, we're gonna need a drop for Resort Fee George, but we're gonna let him start first. Uh, this isn't a knock on our incoming commissioner, but rather an acknowledgement that the idea of anchoring the Pac-12 to Las Vegas is showing its age too. Instead of being quote Disneyland for adults with elaborate themes, cheap rooms, great food, and exciting performances. Underwritten by smoky casino floors, circa 2009, Sin City is now a hellscape of millennials and Gen Z types uh, un- unconscionably overpaying for poolside bottle service and valet parking, as if the experience being somewhat on their of uh, uh, belonging somewhere on their bucket list. Lest we forget, while Las Vegas isn't the only place hotels levy a bunch of hidden charges. It's the only destination I've found where you can pay a $40 resort fee that equals almost 50% of the room rate itself. That sort of nickel and dime approach is exactly what Pac-12 fans do not want to encourage the CEO group to adopt because, well, who wants to pay more for the exact same thing? Yeah, uh, if you go and you get, you know, you join any of these resort uh, you know, rewards clubs or whatever for the for Las Vegas, and you know, you go during the week sometimes, it's pretty easy to get comped rooms. And you get a comp room and there's still like a 47.50 charge for the resort fee, which what pays for your internet and stuff? Uh, that's kind of crazy. You still gotta like it's not like you can like have uh have at it at the minibar uh, mini bar or anything either. Okay, that said, the idea of being the quote conference of pool parties is a, sedu- a seductive one to be sure. My imagination runs wild with the idea uh, of all the exciting possibilities. Why stop at having a conference championship game? At the Death Star, why not open a Pac-12 branding store like the NBA does in New York, where throngs of perplexed and hungover people can peruse through a massive inventory of jockey undergarments along with Rick Neuheisel's seasonal collection of of designer athletic gloves? It sounds silly, I know, but the point is, any conference can throw a few events a year in Las Vegas and draw big crowds, but hosting the Pac-12's football preview show – From a tailgate at the Mandalay Bay's wave pool, that takes some extra poblanos on your huevos (laughs) rancheros, guys. Obviously, I'm eager to hear David's snarky thoughts about this and Ryan's potentially kind words as well. But in some, I'm curious about George. And hopefully compared to Larry, he focuses less on the sizzle and and instead and more on the steak. Dry-aged USDA prime topped with mushroom caps and faux gras butter, of course. Keep up the superlative work. Thomas. Awesome. Email Thomas. And he sent it like a Google doc. This wasn't just like an email. This was like, um, it was crafted in Google docs before he sent it over here. Yeah. Okay. So David would be snarky. Um, I do, I, I, I would have potential kind words for all of this. I think, um, I didn't realize that those white tigers were still around. I, I haven't been to the Mirage in quite a while, but if they still have that secret garden, uh, and the white tigers are still there, that's kind of cool. Um, but it's been a long while since I've seen those. It is crazy how it's changed from the uh, you know the Disneyland for adults and now it's just like everything is super expensive. And, you know, you can get Rodeo Drive shopping experience and bottle service at the pool and, you know, needed month ahead reservations for this restaurant that you're going to pay an arm and a leg for and all that stuff. But I still like Vegas. I still like the gambling aspect. But you got to use what's available to you. And Las Vegas is available to the Pac-12. And it is a destination for everywhere across the country. I think you do have to embrace it. And I'm not worried about resort fee, George. um, And, you know, as far as, like... The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? (laughs) I, I feel like just... I've never heard an interview from... Larry Scott that sounded anything like uh, George Klayovkov did in his press conference. And we're going to get a chance to talk to him when he starts. So Pac-12 said we could do that. That will be great. Um, I feel like he's much more of a straight shooter. He's much more going to say if, they, if he screws up, I don't think he's going to say blame other people. I think he's going to say, you know what? We had a problem. I had to try this and I thought this would be a good solution. That wasn't it, you know. And the good thing is that we learned this and we're gonna go here and do that. I feel like that's more him. And I like that kind of approach where Larry Scott just is like he's talking from his ivory tower, talking to uh the huddled masses below. You know, if you if you saw him walking by the tower, avert your gaze, don't even look at me. I'm above all of you, I'm above your pay grade. You know, i I'm not gonna to listen to what you're saying. I have this vision. And it's right, and that's where we're going with it. And the fact that this didn't work—that's all of your fault, and it's not mine. And I, I just don't think uh, Klayofkov's like that. It just doesn't seem like it. you know. Maybe it turns out to be. Uh, who knows? I don't know him from anybody. But just for what I've seen and read and heard when I did the you know the the teleconference with him, I feel it's very different uh, than Larry Scott. I like embracing Vegas. I think you you have to, you know, if you're recruiting to your school and you're Washington State, you're recruiting the Pullman or you're Arizona State and you're recruiting the Tempe, there's different things you're going to sell, right? I mean, there's different traditions. There's different what the environment's like, what the coaching's like, all that stuff. You're going to accentuate the positives. And I, I talk about this on the USC podcast. Um, you know, if you're trying to date someone, you're doing like a speed dating thing, which I don't think, even exist anymore that five minutes you get talking across from that person you're trying to sell what's good about you if you happen to be like the ceo of a fortune 500 company probably going to come up if you're unemployed and living in your car probably not going to come up you might talk about the humanitarian work you do or whatever it is like you're going to sell what's good about you and as you should the other stuff will come out eventually um but i think one of the cool things about the Pac 12 footprint, there's bad things about it, like the time zone and the the Pac 12 after dark and all that kind of stuff. But you got some cool cities, you got some cool college towns and you got Las Vegas. And if you can use that and it actually makes sense because of the location, it's not just, hey, we're gonna use it because we're down the street from, you know, Comcast. So we're that, you know, we want and we want to be in the same city as Facebook or whatever. Like no, there's actual logistical reasons that you would want to be in Las Vegas. Not this is the most expensive place to be. It doesn't really make any sense. It's hard to get talent here. Like uh, are the people that work at the network can't even afford to to live there. We're going to fly in uh, the president of our network from Los Angeles because that's where most you know network executives are because that's where the entertainment industry is. But it's really expensive to live in San Francisco and he likes where he's living in L.A. So we'll just let him fly up every week. You're not gonna have that kind of stuff happening. Um, so I think there's a lot of good reasons for being in Las Vegas. So I'm I'm uh, you know optimistic uh, about this as well. I'm sure David would have some more snark, but uh, I think there's going to be more steak. Um, I would rather have like uh, some kind of crab on top uh, as a topping, not mushroom caps. Uh, foie gras butter though, that sounds awesome. Uh, but I'm not sure if I've had that. Maybe I have, but. That steak sounds really good, but I'd put some, like, crab on top. All right. Thanks for that one, Thomas. A well-crafted email. And the last one, this is uh, DC and LA, UCLA at SoFi. Hey, guys. I really love your show. Great unbiased reporting, and you guys really have chemistry, especially today. I think the chemistry is amazing today between me and David. I'd like your opinion and plausibility of the following. Besides the decades-old Below average performance on the field, one thing that hinders UCLA prominence is the Rose Bowl. It's too far from Westwood, 30 miles, and to get there means going through the single-lane road residential area of Pasadena. That is always weird, having to do that. I think you should break the Rose Bowl lease and play at SoFi Stadium. It's state-of-the-art, has mass transit capability, and has a media buzz around it. It also has luxury boxes for those corporate sponsors. Do you think this is a good idea? And if so, what would it take to do this? And what do you think the probability of this happening is happening in three, five, or ten years? Thanks, DC and LA. I'd much rather uh, David Woods um, answer this one. So this was actually the last question. So we'll have David, uh, when when he gets on next week, we'll have him uh, get his thoughts on this. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I know USC over the weekend end up using SoFi Stadium. For recruiting purposes. So that was, you know, it's close to campus or whatever. So they would have, um, you know, within, you know, six miles or 10 miles or whatever it is, they had those huge video boards inside. Um, they played like highlights and all kinds of stuff and like recruiting videos for the, the prospects that they would bring out there. They had uh, eight official visitors in this weekend and they brought them all to that. And uh, that was cool. Um, as far as I think ucla should use it if they can for recruiting or whatever. I mean, the Rose Bowl just has so much tradition. There's a level of prestige just playing there uh, that you probably wouldn't have at SoFi. But it'd be pretty cool to 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 play at SoFi. As far as just like, hey, is it easier for the students to get there? Yes. Is it easier for local alumni uh, to get to SoFi? I would think so. Like it's you know, unless you live in Pasadena and you can like ride your bike to the stadium, it's freaking hard to get there. Uh, it's just not easy. And you know, but if you're a UCLA fan, it's not your only opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl. Sorry. Sorry, David. I think David has UCLA hasn't played in the Rose Bowl, in the Rose Bowl game, uh, since like David's been alive. So uh I don't know. But I'd love to get David's thoughts on this. I don't know what the lease is like. Um, you know, there's a great option as far as if you're just looking for a stadium to play in. Uh, it's not too big, right? I mean, I mean, if you're worried that you couldn't get eighty-five thousand in a game, like you could at the Rose Bowl, you're just not seeing that that much. Uh, even the USC UCLA game, we're not seeing it like sold out like it, it used to be. I think you know, just far as like football product, it's pretty cool. Modern, you got all the luxury boxes. Now they got some of that stuff at the Rose Bowl now after the the renovation, the the cool area where the media are, and they got some boxes and stuff, but. This would definitely be a different um, feel to it, but my guess is the reasons why are more traditional and historical than this would be a better place for UCLA fans to watch a football game than the Rose Bowl. If it was just about that, probably yeah, that makes sense. But otherwise, probably not. Uh, all right. Well, hey, that was pretty clean. It's you know it's a lot easier when only one person talks because then you don't have to like hear the response. <laughs> The other guy, if he disagrees with me or whatever, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I'm sorry. Uh, we couldn't do a show together. We'll, we'll get back and and do it again next week. We would like to do some kind of meetup. That would be great. Like to get, uh, at least voicemails, but maybe interviews with some of the individual publishers for the different schools, just sort of get a post spring update. What's going on with those programs. Uh, you know, guys like Day have real specific questions usually for the different schools. So maybe we can ask some of the stuff Day was asking about with some of the different publishers that we end up talking to. That would all be great. But we, you know, we love hearing from you. Keep uh, sending in the questions, uh, jump on the Reddit page, you know, tweet at us or tweet at me, basically, um, you know, positive reviews, five-star reviews on Apple podcasts. We love those as well. So. I hope you get a little better feel for what's going on in the Pac-12 conference uh, over the past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, just from the show. And thanks for all the questions. Hopefully you like the insights I provided. Um, Again, apologize, David, not being here, but we will get him back next week. All right, that's going to wrap things up for David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham, and we are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.